Hey, ¿cómo están? I'm Deborah Johnson Miranda, and I'm your host on the Be Money podcast for Generation X. This is a safe space for historically excluded communities to challenge and overcome negative financial mindsets. As Gen Xers, we're caring for our parents and our kids, and often leaving our finances in a mess, un desorden. That stops today because we're going to fight for our right to create our wealth and to enjoy it. Salud! Bienvenidos! Welcome to episode 3 of the Be Money podcast for Generation X. I'm your host, Deborah Johnson Miranda, and thank you so much for being here today. I'm going to talk in this episode about the B word because it was my encounter with the B word that brought me to my financial knees. I don't know what would have happened if I'd been allowed to go through with the B word. So my experience is going to be different from that of others who do end up going through it. So what is the B word? Bankruptcy. Gen Xers carry a lot of debt. We use credit cards to pay for our parents' medicines, to pay for our gas, to pay for our children's activities, to buy Starbucks, and this debt is huge. According to Credit Karma, members of Generation X, which includes me, and people ages 42 to 57, we carry the highest average total debt, which is about $60,000. Debt in the study that was included was everything from auto leases, auto loans, credit cards, student loans, and mortgages. This came from uh, the study that was done September, 22, uh, September of 2022. The high cost of living, stagnant wages, a probable recession, and a global pandemic that is still ongoing have us reaching for the plastic to pay for life's necessities all the time. It's a shitty situation that millions of us are in, but that's the reality. The high cost of housing, food, and medicine, and the slow and steady disappearance of government assistance, uh, stagnant wages, yes, I'm mentioning it again, and 6.45% inflation all contribute to this. Depending on where you look, baby boomers, it seems, have the highest rates of bankruptcy, but millennials are right behind them. So why are people declaring bankruptcy? The five most cited reasons, according to a 2021 article on Investopedia, are number one, loss of income, number two, medical expenses, number three, high mortgage and possible foreclosure, number four, living beyond our means, and number five, the big one, trying to help others, especially family. Gen Xers are often referred to as the sandwich generation, caught between our boomer parents and our millennial and Gen Z kids. We are unpaid caregivers even when we work full-time jobs, and these jobs don't always offer opportunities to increase our income, and that's if we didn't lose our jobs over the last two and a half years. Do you see where this is going? All five of those situations that force people to declare bankruptcy, or at least force them to think about it, are all related, and they're all products or results of the capitalistic nature of our economy. With eviction moratoriums ending all over the country, we can only imagine what it's going to be like for the next year for people who are on the brink of financial disaster. When you have insurance companies and hospital associations sending people to collections because they can't pay their bills because healthcare costs are so stupidly high, I mean, I hope you get what I'm saying. 
And the part about people living beyond their means, that's often a mental health issue. Depression, anxiety, undiagnosed disorders, trauma, ADD, all of that combined with people's lack of financial literacy, and you have a buy, buy, buy society. And boom, what do you fucking expect? So what are the different types of bankruptcy for individuals and couples? There are two. You've got your chapter seven and your chapter 13. In chapter seven, your debts are dismissed, which means you don't have to pay them off. Obviously there are exceptions such as child support debt, IRS debt, things like that. In chapter 13, your debts are restructured and then you pay them back on a plan that lasts anywhere from three to five years. That depends on the factors such as how much income you have, how much debt you have, those kinds of things. Bankruptcy filings become part of the public record and they show up also on your credit reports. So what does it mean that it will show up on your public record? Because bankruptcy petitions are filed in federal court, they become a matter of public record. The only exception would be if the petition ends up being sealed by the court. Chapter 7 will be on your credit report for 10 years from the date of filing, and Chapter 13 will be on your credit report for 7 years from the date of filing. One thing to know is that any delinquent accounts that are included in the bankruptcy will fall off your credit report at the 7-year mark, regardless of when you filed for bankruptcy, because the original delinquency date was very likely before you filed. So if you have two years to go on a credit card um, that's delinquent, then and you, and you apply for bankruptcy today, that credit card delinquency or that negative report is still going to fall off in two years, even though you still owe money on it, because the bankruptcy, if you filed it today, is going to drop off in seven years if it's chapter 13 or 10 if it's chapter seven. So here's my story. In 2017, I was faced with foreclosure and I wasn't able to work out an arrangement with my mortgage company. I was desperate and I decided to file for bankruptcy to stop the foreclosure process. The first step in filing for bankruptcy is that your attorney is going to ask for every bit of financial information that is attached to you. They're going to pull your credit reports, they're going to ask for bank statements, income, all of that. They're going to want to know how much you spend each month. In my case, which was kind of weird, my only debt included two mortgages and a lien. Once all of that happens, your attorney will file the petition and then you're given a date for the meeting of creditors. It's also called a 341A hearing. That date is about 21 to 50 days after your filing date. You'll meet with the trustee or judge and answer any questions they have about your debts. Your creditors have the opportunity to appear, so they're going to be notified, and they can go um, and ask questions or make sure that the correct debt and the correct amount appear so they get their money. In both cases, none of my creditors appeared, and it seems like um, my understanding is that it's not a common thing for them to appear, but they are given the right to do that. Side note, the second mortgage and the lien were debts incurred by somebody um, and I was the co-signer on that second mortgage and the lien. But 
So because I was the co-signer on those debts, I had to include them in my bankruptcy petition. So while you're waiting for the petition to be approved or not, you make estimated payments to the trustee. They'll tell you how much you need to pay each month. But when my trustee informed my attorney that I wasn't going to be approved, I ended up withdrawing the petition and the money I paid for six months was returned to me. And of course, foreclosure proceedings started up again. So to keep that process from going through, I took advantage of a mediation program in Washington State that helps homeowners come to an arrangement with the mortgage servicer. My mediation was about four to five months after I withdrew my petition. There was no resolution in the mediation because I just owed too much money um, to bring my mortgage current, and there was no way I was going to get any kind of assistance like from a nonprofit to bring my mortgage current. So in 2019, almost two years to the date of the first bankruptcy filing, I ended up filing for bankruptcy again. If the shame was intolerable the first time, it was worse the second time. I felt like I had failed again. I mean, I did fail again to fix my financial situation um, and to fix the foreclosure situation. Even though by 2019 I had a second job, it just didn't pay enough for the trustee to believe that I would be able to make the monthly payments. My depression was in high gear those two years. It debilitated me physically and mentally. I felt so much pressure because I wasn't responsible just for myself, but for my three kids, my elderly mother, and my disabled sister. I had failed my family, and that was the worst feeling ever. Shame and failure are huge burdens to carry. In December 2019, I celebrated Christmas just about a week after a foreclosure notice was taped to my front door. So I knew that it was going to be our last Christmas because there was no way I was going to be able to convince any bank or credit union to lend me the money that I needed. My credit was so bad that I couldn't even get a co-signer uh, with excellent credit to help me. And I, there was just no way out other than to sell my home. The idea of selling the house that my mother helped me buy, where my kids came home after they were born and where they had grown up, just added to my shame and added to my feeling of immense failure. On the positive side, I was lucky. I was blessed to have my family's support. My kids were, at the time, 19, 16, and 15, and they and my mother all told me that it was time to let go, and it was time to just do the thing, and it was time to alleviate the burden and the stress. They said they would support my decision because they could see what I was going through. I'm never going to be able to thank my family for the faith they had in me when I had none. They stood by me when I was at my lowest. The emotional cost of bankruptcy and foreclosure is high. 
if you already suffer from mental health issues, your symptoms and feelings are made so much bigger and louder. The cost to your mental health is huge, and it's even bigger for unpartnered women. In fact, single women file for bankruptcy at a higher rate than men. Professor Fenaba Addo published an article in 2017 in the Journal of Population Health, which I will link in the show notes, titled Seeking Relief, Bankruptcy and Health Outcomes of Adult Women. The United States has reduced its social safety net over the past few decades, which has resulted in higher spending on housing, food, clothing, health care, and prescription medicines for women and their children. I'm going to say that again. Housing, food, clothing, health care, and medicine. Those aren't luxuries, okay? These are things that people need to survive. What ends up happening is that the women and or their children end up going without these necessities, or if they have access to credit, they go into debt to pay for these things. Unpartnered Gen X parents face these challenges as they care for their children and their aging parents. And what ends up happening is that they end up putting themselves on the proverbial back burner, taking care of everybody else before they even think about taking care of themselves. The study Professor Addo looked at mental the study by Professor Addo looked at mental health outcomes and physical health outcomes of women who file for bankruptcy and the difference in outcomes between women who filed for Chapter 7 and Chapter 13. So remember, Chapter 7 gets rid of debt, and in Chapter 13, you pay it back. There's no surprise here that the health outcomes are different between the two. Chapter 7 gives you a fresh start, even if it comes with a little bit of guilt that you didn't pay back your debt. And Chapter 13 kind of gives you a fresh start and makes you feel less guilty because you're paying back your debt but let's not sugarcoat it. Chapter 13 can be a hardship. If you lose your job or your source of income and miss a payment or make a late payment, your bankruptcy is dismissed and the problems you had before just come rushing back. So back to Professor Addo. She writes that one of the reasons people file for bankruptcy is to relieve the stress of debt. I'm not talking about, oh my God, I'm so stressed I can't find my keys. I'm talking about the kind of stress that causes physical symptoms that manifest into chronic conditions. So here's a shortened version of a paragraph from the article. Quote, Carrying lots of debt or having to allocate income to paying down the debt may mean having little to no money to spend on quality health products and services. Debt can also be stigmatizing and there may be shame associated with seeking assistance. Societal norms about debt and the stigma can contribute to chronic anxiety and stress that exacerbates health conditions. Assuming debt is correlated with poor health outcomes, filers might have better health than comparable non-filers. Therefore, a potential unintended consequence of debt discharge through bankruptcy may be improvement in one's health. End of quote. So what do you think of that? I think it's pretty fucking amazing. So in closing, I just want to say, 
I don't know if I'm fortunate or not that neither of my bankruptcies went through. The dings to my credit were nothing compared to the idea of losing my home. Like I said before, I was in a weird situation because my only debt were two mortgages and a lien. And another part of that weird situation is that my home had equity. I did end up walking away with some money. Not a lot. It was less than 100000 If I had allowed the foreclosure to go through, I would have lost everything. Just days before my 50th birthday, I sold my home. We were lucky to find a house nearby to rent from a lovely couple who accepted my assurances and my teenagers, two cats, a dog, and three chickens. The house fit us all and has become home. For the first year, I was determined to save enough money to buy a house. I was like, I'm going to put my family back in a house and I'm going to do it. And I had told the landlords, the owners, initially that we were only going to stay for two years. That was in 2020. And here I am in February 2023. But then I did a lot of calculations and found that renting is where it's at for us right now. I've saved more money and spent less on housing expenses than I ever have before. And I don't have the problem of dealing with a broken furnace or a clogged sink. That's for my landlords to deal with. And the person who owes me money for that second mortgage and the lien is paying me back. I have received a payment every month since I sold the house. So I'm getting a little bit of income there as well. So here's the impact to my credit score. I'm only going to bring this up because so many people are concerned about their credit score. At the time that this was all happening, I didn't know what my credit score was. I was like, it's probably, you know, the lowest it's ever been. It has to be. I mean, if I'm, if I'm looking at it, you know, in, if I'm looking at the numbers, um, I didn't bother because I was not going to get into debt or, you know, I wasn't going to get into debt. I didn't have any debt other than my mortgage and the second mortgage and the lien. Um, but I wasn't planning on applying for anything. I was just plodding along. But when um, my cousin, who has a perfect credit score, offered to co-sign a loan for me, uh, the one that was denied because my credit was so low, I discovered that my credit score was in the low 400s. It was about 415, 420. I checked it today um, to include the most updated number for this episode, and it's at 725. So it took me about three years to increase it by about 300 points. I've worked on rebuilding my credit in spite of the bankruptcy petitions that show up on my credit report. And incidentally, the bankruptcies appear, but they don't appear as dismissed. So it looks as if I was still in those, um, it, it looks on my credit report as if I'm in those bankruptcies. Um, so I'm just, you know, really grateful that I've been able to apply for credit. I've improved my credit score and I'm saving money. So I'm doing all the things that I'm supposed to be doing financially. So the big question after all of this is, is bankruptcy the right option? for you and your specific situation. And 
My answer is that I have no idea. Only you can make this decision. And as a trained paralegal, it's my duty to tell you to find an attorney. If you do go through with it, I do recommend that you also find someone to talk to. A support group, whether online or in person, a therapist, a coach, somebody who can be a sounding board for you and accept somebody who can accept you for who you are and who will not shame you or judge you for filing. Some people file on their own, which is totally up to them. But before doing it on your own, I would recommend three options that could work for you and may lead to finding an attorney who can help you. Number one, seek out a community-based legal services organization. Do an online search for reduced fee legal services, um, followed by the name of your city or county. Number two, check your county or state bar association's website. Do an online search for, you know, county name, bar association referral service. In King County, where I live in Seattle, the lawyer referral service for the bar association offers a free 30-minute consultation with an attorney. Number three, check your local college or university's law school website. There are sometimes student clinics where a student, a law student, can guide you if you decide to per this excuse me, pursue this on your own, or they may even be able to represent you. Do a search for university student legal clinic, and then just insert the name of your, of your university. I do recommend an attorney, but a bankruptcy attorney, and one that has experience. That person will be able to help you determine if filing is your best option, and also which of the two chapters will fit your situation the best. So when you get ready, like let's say you have a free consultation, have the following information ready. Number one, what is your monthly mortgage payment? What is your mortgage balance and what is the value of your home? You don't have to have exact numbers because the final numbers will come later. What type of debt? Is it IRS, property taxes, consumer debt? Are you in foreclosure, student loans, child support, business loans, and then have the approximate amounts? What is your monthly salary and any extra income, like from gig work or from selling anything? You want to have every bit of income that you have coming in monthly, even if it's child support or spousal maintenance. You want to have all that information. Any government benefits that you receive. Are you un un on unemployment? Do you get food stamps? Do you get social security? Or do you get disability insurance? Whatever you get, you have to have those listed and the amounts that you get each month. Let the attorney know if you're self-employed and have the appropriate information. How much money are you bringing in? And also let the attorney know if you have any retirement accounts and how much is in there. And finally, I guess I do have to add one more. If you have any life insurance policies that have a cash value. Once you make the decision to file for bankruptcy, you may feel relief, may feel embarrassment, or a mix of the two. Your feelings are valid and they are normal. Your worth as a person is not at all connected to this thing that happened to you. 
I'm going to say it again. Your worth as a person is not at all connected to this thing that happened to you. Whether you proceed with a bankruptcy or not, seek some kind of mental health assistance, a therapist or a support group, online, in person. Just know that you are not alone. And then remember that once you make the decision, own it. There's nothing wrong with asking for help. And filing for bankruptcy is asking for help. Don't wait like I did. When I finally took the chance and asked for help from my realtor, my attorney, and my family, I wondered why I waited so long. I could have avoided a lot of distress. And finally, don't let anyone shame you. And don't let anyone say to you that if you had done this thing or taken that advice, that you wouldn't be in this situation. Shaming is not allowed. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for listening. And remember this. You are the boss of your money. You are the boss of your life. Quien manda aquí eres tú. Hasta la próxima. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Be Money Podcast for Generation X. I'm Deborah Johnson Miranda. One of the greatest compliments I can receive is if you recommend this podcast to others who might enjoy it. And of course, reviews on Apple and Spotify are very welcome. If you're looking for one-on-one -on -one coaching, visit bemoneycoaching.com and sign up for your consultation. Have ideas for future episodes? Get in touch via social media or my website. Hasta luego y que les vaya muy bonito.